Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. There's this legend here about a man, a specter with a glowing green face, doomed to roam the highways of western Pennsylvania. He may have been burned by acid or fire. His face was melted like candle wax. There were stories that he was a utility worker who got struck by lightning and went crazy and killed his family. Or... You know, he was a kid that was in a house fire. Or maybe it was a terrible accident, some kind of radioactive spill at a nearby power plant. The details of the story were always squishy, but the legend of Charlie No-Face, of Beaver County's Green Man, isn't just some tall tale. He was a real person with a real story that's been told incorrectly by generations of Pittsburghers. It's Wednesday, October 18th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. I'm with CityCast East Coast Content Director Will Fulton, a.k.a. my big boss, Will, I know that you're in Brooklyn now, but your folks grew up in this area, your dad in Beaver Falls. What was your sense of this Charlie No-Face legend when you were growing up? Right. Well, this legend has been a part of my life for basically my entire life. Uh, I would say when I was especially like seven, eight years old, my dad would always tell tall tales that he was a secret agent that I had a twin brother that I didn't know about, um, that he was an <laughs> Olympic powerlifter. That was just his sense of humor, right? But he told one story that he always really contended was true. And for me, it was the most memorable of all. And it was a story that um, about a guy he knew when he was a kid, a man that didn't have a face, no eyes, no nose, a hole for a mouth. My dad would describe it like, you know, he had silly putty smeared all over his face and he would walk the streets at night and run in with my dad and his friends. And it was a ghost story. And it always really scared me. It always really fascinated my brother and I. And one of my earliest internet memories, and it might not even been Google, I might have asked Jeeves this question, but I typed in Charlie No-Face just because I was like, you know, maybe there's a picture, maybe this is real, and got results. This is early internet, so I think it was some message boards, some very, very prehistoric AOL-style sites. And not only were there other stories corroborating my dad's story, but there were pictures, which blew my mind because I just had this mental image of him in my head all these years. And seeing that real picture was just relevatory to me. Honestly, I remember that moment. 
So you did a deeper dive on regional lore for the website Thrillist. Did you find out what's up with these names, Green Man or Charlie No-Face? Where did they come from? That's a really good question. So my dad always called him Charlie No-Face, but it seems like more people know Ray or his legend as the Green Man. Charlie No-Face, no idea where the Charlie came from. No one I talked to knew. Honestly, no idea. Green Man has a couple interpretations. One is that his... uh skin was was very smooth from being burned and he would sometimes mm-hmm. apply vaseline on his face so when headlights would pass him on his late night walks he would actually glow and there is kind of a grosser explanation that was some of his uh wounds still needed care and would sometimes be uh gangrene on his face yeah well so those were the legends some not so kind, but we're here to talk about the real man. Like you said, his name was Ray, Ray Robinson. He was born in the Newcastle area in 1910, and he was just eight years old when he had this terrible accident. Totally. So um, when Ray was eight years old in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, he and his sister, I think, were out swimming, and they noticed a bird's nest on top of an abandoned trolley trestle. And Ray climbed up to get a closer look and accidentally touched a wire that used to power the trolley that was still active and was severely electrocuted. His nose, lips, ears, eyes, all gone. He lost an arm and he was just obviously in unimaginable pain and was rushed to the hospital. Something like that, it just, it abruptly changes everything. The course of his childhood, his family's life. What happened next? Yeah, I I know from um, one of the initial articles, his mom was a widow. And I think for the first few years after the accident, he just recovered in seclusion. And then for quite some time after that, lived a really secluded life. They had a big Victorian home where they had kind of like an ensuite with with a bathroom and everything built in. And Ray lived in there for a while. And he learned to read Braille, uh... I know that he was a really big Pittsburgh Pirates fan, so we would listen to baseball games on the radio. Forbes Field in Pittsburgh, the seventh game of the 19th. And he developed some some small hobbies. I think one thing that he did was make crafts out of old tires, wallets, and things like that that he would give to people. But um, mostly seclusion, yeah. Yeah, and then so your dad, mentor him, uh, Rick Fulton, actually met Ray in the 1960s. Thanks to you, we will actually be able to let Rick tell his own story. I was a young man, maybe, I don't know, 10 or 11, maybe even 12 years old. And we were at a a night swim in a local swimming pool. And one of my friend's older brothers, who just had gotten his driver's license, we were there with him. And uh, he said, hey, let's go see if we can find Charlie No-Face. Now, I knew about Charlie No-Face, again, all young boys back then knew about Charlie Fo- No Face because we talked about it. And uh, he was some urban legend, I guess, that that we never knew the truth, what was real and what wasn't real, but we had heard all these stories. So we all jumped in and, and we drove for a while. I don't really know how far we drove, but it was a while. The next thing I know, the car stops and pulls over and my friend's brother gets out of the car and walks to the front and lo and behold, there and off the you know the glare of the headlights, he's talking to another guy. And I look, and it's Charlie No Face. At least I think it's Charlie No Face. And uh, the next thing I knew, 
The door opens, the back driver's in the back seat, and he gets down and sits in the car with us, right next to me. And uh, I don't think I screamed out loud, but I was screaming inside. I was scared out of my mind. He was in the car with us, just a short period, like five or 10 minutes at the most, maybe. Uh, it seemed like days at the time, but it was probably five minutes, 10 minutes. And uh, he drank a beer uh, through a straw. And uh, I really never looked at him directly. I was so afraid. Uh, I was scared. I, I mean, I have no excuse. I was I was truly a, a, a afraid of my life. And But he got out and uh, uh, I never... I saw him a couple more times later on, but never, you know, sat next to him in a car. So that was in the 1960s in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And uh, so um, uh, the legend, the urban legend is true. I know firsthand it's true. And uh, uh, that's all I got. Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins and so will everyone else there be playful be imaginative explore your magical realm because this is a theme party you want to come dressed to impress you must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum its art its education and all of its community outreach initiatives get your tickets now to the 25th mattress factory garden party they are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. You know, that's kind of how the legend evolved was when, when my dad was a teenager and, you know, I guess Ray was in, in middle age. He would take these long walks around uh, Route 351 and people would notice him. You know, he would walk late at night um, to, you know, fly under the radar, but people would seek him out. Teenagers especially would drive around and try to find Ray and do exactly what my father did, buy him beer, just frankly treat him like a sideshow, a, a, a something to do on Saturday night. It's, it's to find Ray and pick him up and share a couple beers with him and um, for lack of a better word, gawk at him, you know? Yeah. And I know when you did some reporting about this in your past life for Thrillist, you got kind of a different sense of the man behind the myth from a documentarian who'd been trying to tell this real story of who he was. What was her sense of like how the community kind of created that legend? Right. So uh, I found a documentarian filmmaker named Tisha York who's actually from Elwood City, which is one town over from Beaver Falls, yeah. where my dad grew up. And she, I think I found her actually through a GoFundMe. She's trying to raise funds to make a film about Ray and had spent about three years researching his family life, his story. And she got to know a lot of the people that knew Ray. And by all accounts, he was just a very sensitive friendly, nice person who 
you know, <laughs> we talk about my dad and his friends trying to pick him up and, and spend time with him. And he really enjoyed that. He loved spending time with people. And a lot of teenage boys, particularly in that time, who sought him out as kind of this sideshow, I hate to say it, this freak, ended up having relationships with him, would visit him regularly. There are a few people that, you know, Tisha told me that recounted their stories with Ray and grown men would break down crying just thinking about what Ray meant to them, what what he did for them, and just reflecting on how, how bittersweet this was. And just thinking about your dad's experience, you know, he's meeting him in the 1960s as a young teenager, young boy, but Ray's in his 50s. Yeah. Like, that's such a different relationship when you think about it of, you know, someone who has seen a bit of the world uh, talking to these youngins that are coming up, not really trying to hear about, you know, like they're not trying to learn something about from this guy, but maybe they do in the margins. No, totally. And there was one story in particular I remember uh, Tisha told me about a young man who lost his brother in, in Vietnam actually credited Ray's companionship and empathy as just a force of positivity during his grieving period. So, you know, people would sit on Ray's porch and and talk to him. And, uh, you know, Ray, by all accounts, was a very good listener, <laughs> as you can imagine. So what happened to Ray, you know, born close to the turn of the 20th century? I'm assuming he is not still walking around Newcastle these days. <laughs> well, he, he is not walking in, in around Newcastle these days, although people still go out driving, looking for him, um, his specter, I guess. But no, Ray, uh, as I understand it, was put into a nursing home sometime in the early 80s or late 70s, and I believe he died somewhere around the mid-80s in that nursing home. And he's buried in Beaver County right now with the rest of his family. How does your dad feel about it now? Like, looking back on the kind of ghost hunting that he and his friends were engaged in, but also just, like, how people have talked about this person for the last almost century. My dad feels really bad that he treated this person, this human being, as as something to gawk at, as, as a freak show, as a, as a point of fascination. As I got older and got my own driver's license, uh, you know, we went out, my friends and I, and we would look for two things. We looked for Charlie No-Face and where we could get beer. And it was a lot easier getting beer than it was finding Charlie No-Face. So, I, I mean, I looked for him, you know, hundreds of times, I guess. And I did see him uh, maybe two times after that, maybe three times, but just a very few times. And we didn't stop. We just slowed down and looked at, I mean, like a freak show, unfortunately, we just looked at him and, and then took off. I hate to say this at the time, but, I, you know, we were comparing him saying he belonged in a circus freak show. And I'm embarrassed to have said those kind of things back then, but I, I was a, a young man, I guess. So uh, I have no excuses. That, of course, is your dad again, Rick Fulton. Yeah. I think like, you know, looking back now, of course, when you're 16 and you see someone like Ray um, walking by the side of the road at midnight, like that's that's a shocking, scary thing. But in reality, this was, by all accounts, a very kind, gentle man who had serious, debilitating disabilities from a childhood accident. And um, he was turned into this point of fascination. Well, and how do you feel about it? You know, as somebody carrying the story forward, maybe revealing a little bit of the mask behind the legend, but also still talking about it all these years later. What What's your takeaway on kind of how 
we discuss things like this, these urban legends? Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of cruelty around stories like this. I mean, one thing we didn't touch upon is, uh, you know, people like my dad who would go and, and pick Ray up and give him beer and, and chat with him. But there were a lot of people that, that sought him out and uh, unfortunately were violent, would throw things at him. Uh, I think there's even some stories about people sneaking up on him and, and beating him up. He actually would carry a gun in his later life on his on his late night walks because he was so scared. So I think like for me, looking back on this, I especially around this time period um, of Halloween, where these these urban legends surface, uh, I think it's important just to realize that like, you know, not to get too heady here, but I think this story kind of exemplifies how we process tragedy and grief and even as a culture, we have this fascination with the morbid, but a lot of the time we kind of overlook the actual people involved with these stories. Will, thank you so much. We'll have a link to your fantastic story from Thrillist. We appreciate your work now and back then. Of course. And thanks to my dad for recounting his story one more time for us. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Thank you times a million to CityCast producer Elizabeth Kama, who found this old story from our boss, conceived of the entire run of show, and then sound designed the whole episode. If you loved it, please let us know so we can share the kudos with her and our bosses. You can reach us via email. That's pittsburgh at citycast.fm or in our DMs. We're at citycastpgh on Instagram. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. Arguably more tragic story, I think the same year that Ray was injured on that trolley line, um, another child about the same age was killed doing the exact same thing and they didn't fix it uh and coincidentally ray is now buried in the same plot of funeral land where that child um is buried you tell sad stories will (laughs) not always just just around halloween